First off, I wanted to give you a spoiler uh, here at the beginning and let you know just the main point of where we're headed today. Um, and, and I'll explain why I'm doing that. But uh, the main point of our sermon today is the gospel spreads when we become fixated on Christ. The gospel spreads when we become fixated on Christ. Both on a, on a personal, individual level and, and also... F- to an international level. When the church becomes fixated on the person of Jesus Christ, that is when the gospel spreads. When we in our own lives become fixated on the person of Jesus Christ and getting to walk more intimately and deeply with him, that's when we see the spread of the gospel take root in our life. So starting in in Philippians 1 verses 12 through 14, it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So we see in here in, in, in verse 1, we're just going to kind of break it apart verse by verse as we go through this. But verse 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, uh, I guess the right word would be brethren there if we're getting a little old-fashioned, uh, that what has become, uh, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you were with us when we went through uh, the book of Acts, uh, we, we learned about Paul getting in, in, in jail multiple times. Uh, most notably, we know about the, the time that he and Silas were in the jail. Uh, or Timothy and Silas were in jail and, and uh, the, the chains were literally broken. Uh, I'm sorry, that's Paul and Silas. Y'all, y'all keep me straight. Um, Paul and Silas are in jail and, and the jailer is, is uh, one for Christ right there because he saw the power of God. And, um, and, and so we see all these amazing things happening in Paul's life, not from just preaching and, and going about and traveling, uh, but from inside of a jail cell. And so Paul is not bound or confined to you know, just having a platform and a stage. He, he's winning people for Christ when they're trying to extinguish him. They're trying to put out this, uh, all this mess that, that, that Paul is spreading that's just disrupting the Jewish way of life and the Roman way of life. And so uh, both sides are out to get Paul uh, because this word of Christ is flipping the world upside down. And so... Inside the jail says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, the word for really there that's used in the Greek is Milan, but it's best translated to mean rather or actually. Uh, and so this kind of tips us off to a plot twist in the story. So something unexpected is happening here. You know, uh, the, 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 the authorities that exist, the Romans, are trying to put out this message that Paul is preaching. And in their attempt to do that, it's actually made the advance of the gospel spread more rapidly. Which, it's, it's so amazing how God's just paradoxical nature works in this. And, and we see so much irony uh, threaded throughout this story as we look at it today. But the, the, the attempt to extinguish the gospel has actually served to advance it. And so, uh, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I really like a good plot twist in a movie, Right? Um, I don't know uh, if you're if you're a big fan of the Christopher Nolan thrillers, you know, with, with Leonardo DiCaprio, or uh, you know, if you if you like reading books where uh, there's this false protagonist set up, and then all of a sudden the plot twists and everything, you just do begin to question everything, and it all flips on its head, right? Um, and, and I think that uh, that a good plot twist is essential to the story of the Bible too. 
you know, we, can, we can't deny the fact that Scripture is narrative. Right? That, that, that there's this big story that God is unweaving throughout the pages of the Bible. And, and naturally, God also uh, has quite a way with uh, developing a good plot twist. But I want to give you a, a definition of what a plot twist is. It says, when a plot twist happens near the end of a story, especially if it changes one's view of the preceding events, it's known as a surprise ending. Sometimes people use a plot twist to describe a sudden change of situation in real life. It is often assumed that revealing the existence of a plot twist spoils a film or book, since the majority of the film or book generally builds up to the plot twist. However, at least one study suggests otherwise. So, there was this professor at the University of California, San Diego, and uh, his name is Dr. Christenfield. Uh, but they did this study on uh, spoiling, uh, giving away a spoiler, uh, and, and, and telling people what, what's going to happen in the end from the beginning. And uh, for most of you, you know, as, as we talked about in our greeting time, probably shared a time when you were planning on going to see the next uh, superhero movie or uh, going to see the next thriller or, and, and someone just totally gave away the ending uh, to you, just maybe uh, on accident or maybe they're really uh, that annoying type of person that likes to, to spoil uh, the movie before you, you know. And, and to me, honestly, uh, it saves me from having to pay 11 or $12, how much ever it costs to go to a movie now uh, and, and, you know, uh, investing that time into it. But basically, we have this concept, according to the study, that uh, when we go to a movie, we can, we can only see it as unspoiled or spoiled. Right? And so we want, we want, if, we, if we pay that $11, $12, we want to be on the edge of our seat and be surprised at the plot twist. Right? But this, suggest, this study actually suggests otherwise, that if we know the story, if we know the ending from the beginning, it's not a spoiler, it's actually an enhancer. So, but most of you don't believe me, but the research is all there. You can go look it up online. Um, but if, if we have familiarity with, the, with what the spoiler is, if we know what's going to happen, then it helps us to see the greater picture of what's going on in the entire movie in, in terms of how everything is developing. This is, this is what Dr. Christenfield said. He said, if you know the ending as you watch it, you can understand what the filmmaker is doing. You get to see this broader view and essentially understand the story more fluently. There's lots of evidence that this sort of fluent processing of information is pleasurable. That is, some familiarity with a work of art enables you to enjoy it more. Okay? So, spoilers are actually enhancers. So, back to the story of Paul. Um, a, a huge part of developing a good plot twist and having a good, uh, you know, something that, that just totally flips on its head and from a, a narrative standpoint is, is this idea of a false protagonist. It's a method used to undermine the expectations of the audience. It involves presenting a character at the start of the film or the book as the main character, but then disposing of this character, usually killing them. It's a device known as a red herring. I don't know if, how, many, how many literature students we have in here, um, but a red herring is basically taking you off on the, on the wrong scent. You know, you're going off, uh, imagine a hound dog going off and, and following the wrong scent and going off the wrong uh, trail, and then all of a sudden everything changes. Um, and, and so that's, that's one of the devices that we have uh, in, in a plot twist. And I think that Paul's life is probably one of the biggest plot twists or is, is one of the biggest false protagonist stories in Scripture. If you remember, he was Saul before he was Paul. 
He persecuted the church. He said, I was a Jew circumcised on the eighth day. I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And man, he was zealous for the law. He went after Christ's church. He, he uh, stood there and held the cloaks of uh, the, the Romans who, uh, who ended up killing Stephen, the first martyr of the church, right there in front of him. And so he's facilitating all this, and he's actively seeking out people to kill them for the, sp- for the spread of the gospel, trying to extinguish it and put it out. And then what happens to Paul? He's, excuse me, Saul. He's, he's on the way to, the, to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus appears to him in a vision and brings him down to his feet. There's this radiant light. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? It's cool that Jesus says that and identifies with his followers. And then the scales come over Paul's eyes and he's healed uh, by a man uh, in Damascus. And... Uh, He's no longer Saul of Tarsus, but he becomes Paul. And so he dies to Saul and becomes Paul. This is is one of the richest plots of a false protagonist in Scripture. All of a sudden, Paul's story is not about Saul of Tarsus, who's a Jew. His story becomes about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the new protagonist. Jesus is the new main character of Paul's life. And I think, uh, you know, Paul, Paul talks about this, you know, uh, that, you know, he, he said in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but we, pre- we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. I don't, I don't just talk about what, who I am and what I became. It's all contingent upon who Jesus is and what he did for me. And then, uh, also in, in 2 Corinthians, it says, uh, we, we uh, preach Christ crucified. All right? So one of the, the, the biggest plot twists in the whole story of Scripture is the cross. The cross gives us an element of foreshadowing of what's going to happen. When, when, when Jesus rises from the dead, when Jesus resurrects from the dead, that story comes to bear in Paul's life as a redefining point. When he understands, and, and, and his understanding of who God is begins with the cross. Actually, uh, Martin Luther talks about this as we come upon the, uh, the 500th year anniversary of uh, the Reformation. Uh, one of Martin Luther's biggest teachings was on the theology of the cross. That our understanding of who God is and what God's doing in our life doesn't begin with rationale or, or anything like that. It begins with the cross. Uh, this, is, this is Luther's theology of the cross. And so, um, the biggest plot twist of Scripture is what happened and what God did through the work of Jesus on the cross. It foreshadows every plot twist in our story as Christians. Because we can look at our life and say, you know, from, from an earthly, from a worldly perspective, things are not as they seem. And Scripture tells us in, uh, you know, in, in Romans 8 that everything that happens is for our ultimate good. That God is working things together for our ultimate good. Regardless of the way things might seem, there is a deeper narrative at play because of what Jesus did for us. And so, Paul has bought into this perspective as he's there in bounds, and in chains, and imprisoned, and saying, I'm not actually the one who's prison. I'm spiritually free. He says in, in, in 1 Peter, it says that uh, the word of God is not bound. 
And so Paul is not complying to the imprisonment that he, that he is under. He's allowing the, the gospel to spread because he realizes there, there is a deeper narrative at work. That, that Paul has laid off the, the old and that, that Jesus is the new main character of his life. And as we study the Bible as a whole, we see that, that Jesus, that, that, um, from Genesis, that, that God is working Jesus to be the main character of Scripture. This is, a, I don't know if, if you've uh, been through the LifeWay study, it's called the Gospel Project. Uh, but there's, there's recently been an emphasis in the church on, uh, on recapitulation. Uh, it's a big word. Uh, but basically, it, it's talking about how um, Jesus is at the center of the story of Scripture. And uh, you know, from Genesis to Revelation that we see his lordship uh, and, and his, how ultimately he is working everything for his glory. So moving on uh, to verse 13, it says, uh, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So his captors see that, that Paul is legit, basically. Um, that that uh, he's not... You know, according to the book of Acts, he's, he's faced with two charges. First, uh, for being a Jewish heretic and a defiler of the temple. Because uh, you know, the Jews are saying, he's preaching this new way. Uh, and, and, you know, what, is, what, is, you know, what does this have to do with the Jewish faith? Um, when, when the prophecies are all right there. So, uh, Paul is, is, is facing the false accusation of that. As well as, uh, the Romans think that he's an anarchist that's causing social unrest. And is an enemy of Roman law and order. And if you know anything about the Romans, they like law and order. Uh, one, of, one of the slogans that uh, kind of characterizes the Roman Empire is Pax Romana. Which is the peace of Rome. And so, they had so much, they, they, they uh, accomplished strength through power. You know, the Roman Empire dominated the known world at the time by uh, peace through strength. Uh, and so uh, Paul was, was seen as someone who's just causing trouble and unrest. But then the authorities came to see that, um, that his imprisonment was not because of uh, him being a defiler of the temple or someone who um, you know, was a Jewish heretic or that he was an anarchist. They came to see that, that Paul was doing all this because he was fixated on Christ. That his sole focus was on Jesus Christ. And so this, uh, it says all of the imperial guard, uh, the, the praetorian is what it's called in Latin. It's the palace guard, basically Caesar's secret service. Uh, it says that the whole praetorian uh, came to know that his bounds were for Christ. Um, it refers to the elite military unit of the Roman Empire that was the only military personnel allowed inside the capital. And so uh, what we learn from this too is that Paul is inside uh, at, at the epicenter of the Roman Empire. And so, uh, the, the influence that Paul is having is over basically Caesar's secret service. And it says to all who were there. And so, Caesar's probably included in that. The Roman emperor is included in that. Now, how does a, how does a prisoner, just by the way of how he's living his life and the way that he was falsely imprisoned, make it all the way to the top of authority? And I think... Um, you know, maybe, maybe just in our in our flesh and our human nature, we get really excited about that. Oh, well, you know, what could happen if he wins the emperor for Christ? You know, what what could happen? You know, if uh, if you know the the Roman Empire starts to love Jesus. 
the church did that nearly a century later or so by, by the way of a guy named Constantine. And uh, it became a, a really troublesome time for the church later on uh, and, and for several hundred years and, until uh, the, the time of the Reformation when basically the, the church sold out on the gospel and they put their hope in a Roman emperor. And so I think that this has so much to, to communicate to us um, in, in terms of uh, our approaches to the advancement of the gospel and the church's role in its interaction with the state. That, that we are called to communicate the gospel in word and deed, but we have to be careful that we remain fixated on Christ. I, think I, I see this uh, played out maybe in, in two uh, mainline types of thinking in, in terms of the church in the modern day. Uh, the first is the idea that, that we as the church need to influence the institution or, or influence the government so that we make it fair. But the problem with that is a lot of times justice becomes an idol. And we forsake the truth of the gospel and we, and we compromise gospel truth in the name of social justice. Now, as Christians, we are called to fight for justice. As Christians, we are to care about those who are marginalized and overlooked and victimized by the system. But we can't forsake the gospel message. And then maybe the other side to this approach is influence the people who are running the institution. And just like the early church, security becomes an idol of the church. And we alienate those who are trying to, we are trying to win over to the gospel. Because it's just proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. And we're not showing or demonstrating the gospel to those who are marginalized and overlooked. And so, uh, you know, I, I say that you, you should be politically involved. You should have a political opinion. But ultimately, our stance, our, our affiliation, our allegiance is to the gospel primarily. And we have to be so careful, regardless of we, whether we identify with the left or whether we identify with the right, that the gospel is at the center of how we uh, seek to advance it in our world, in, in, in terms of how we interact with the state. And I think that we see this, we see this uh, characterized by Paul, and that his approach was to show and to tell the gospel message, um, and, and not give too much weight to either side there. And that's a tricky balance for us to, to walk on. But how ultimately uh, the, the, the Paul became an, an enemy of the Roman Empire, but they saw that the, the gospel was legit. They saw that, um, that, what Paul, that Paul practiced what he preached. That he was sincere in, in, in his fixation on who Jesus was. In verse 14, it says, The believer's confidence, uh, excuse me, uh, it says, uh, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in verse 13, we kind of talked about how uh, Paul was, how, how Paul had influenced the, those who were non-believers. And now verse 14, it talks about how his encouragement, the encouragement of his example is infectious among the believers. 
that the brothers were encouraged and had become confident in the Lord and were much more bold to speak the word without fear. The believer's confidence, though, is, is not in Paul. It's not in the Roman authority that has become to respond positively to the gospel, but it's in Christ, the one whom they are fixated on. So that brings us back around to our main point, that the gospel spreads when we become fixated on Christ. And as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, and when, when this starts to, to take root in our lives, when this starts to take root in our churches, then we, we see the spread of the gospel become something that, that no man can stop. When God uses his church in power, because we become just fixated and enamored and completely centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul gives us this example in, in his encouragement that he sends out to the church at Philippi. And I think that, that, that God is still communicating to the church today. Become so wrapped up in me that all the external narratives that are going on in the world outside of you fall well short of the narrative that I'm weaving together for my people for all of time, for eternity. So we have the opportunity today to join God in the great story that he is unweaving throughout time. We, we're, we're just like a blip on the radar. You guys know that. But we can invest in something eternal when we become fixated on a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who was God in the flesh and died on the cross for us, and resurrected so that we too may be resurrected with him. I had a, uh, a baby boomer tell me, uh, I'm a millennial, and uh, he told me, he said, you know, millennials, uh, you live your life like you're the star of a movie. And I guess that's, uh, I guess that's maybe the effect of, of social media uh, on, on our generation. You know, everything is broadcasted, everything is videoed and sent out, and... Uh, Maybe for most millennials, uh, we, we kind of have slipped into the belief that, that our life is a big movie that's unfolding. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, folks other gen- from other generations are kind of annoyed with us. Um, but I, I, I want to make this point. I don't, I don't think that, that we can deny that our life is heavy narrative. If, if, we, if we go on and believing that things just happen by chance or um, that there's not really any meaning and purpose to every little intricate detail about who we are and where we're placed and what's going on in our life, then we can miss how God is trying to advance the gospel through us. And worse than that, we can miss that Jesus is the protagonist, that Jesus is the main character of our lives. And so if I want to bring you back to a place today through the example of what we talked about in Philippians, I want you to know that you were caught up in an epic story. And that Jesus is the main character of your story. So if today you need to say, you know what? My life needs a big plot twist. The old protagonist, the old main character of my life, which was me, needs to die. And that's the great irony of it. When we die to ourselves, we find new life in Christ. We walk from spiritual death to resurrected spiritual life. Maybe for some of you, you say, you know what? 
I've made that decision before. I've, I've, I've found new life in, in Christ, but, I, but the, the, the story of the gospel and the way that God is trying to use me, um, I, I kind of lost perspective of that, and I need a realignment. Hey, I'm with you. But, but, but start to see the events of your life as tremendously significant for the advance of the gospel, for the glory of Christ. Because the stakes are high and it matters. And it, it's not that everything is hinging upon you. God wants to work in and through you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, so let, me, let me read this from 2 Corinthians 2. It says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. In other words, we can't lose. It's a pretty good message, right? And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank, we thank you so much for the testimony of your word. Thank you for Paul, this despicable guy who you transformed into your image, who you radically flipped his life upside down for the sake of your name, for the salvation of the souls of, of, of people who were alienated from you. But God, you made them right before you. You fixed them. And for many of us in this room, we can identify with that. We were once broken and lost and in need of a Savior. And Father, you met us there. We didn't do anything to deserve your grace and we didn't do anything to reach out to you. Father, you completely reached out to us and we responded in faith to the gospel message. Father, there are people in our lives and there may be people in this room who say I need that hope I need the gospel I need to know that there's a God who loves me who sent a son to die for me and Father you give us the assurance of that so Father help us to be messengers through both the words that we preach and the things that we proclaim and also through the way we carry ourselves in the actions that we commit. Father, may everything that we do be completely fixated on the person of Christ. Because truth is not just some words. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ is truth personified. So Father, just help that to sink in today as we go out and send us out in power and boldness, just like the believers at Philippi. And just like the believers that Paul influenced in Rome, that we would go out in boldness and without fear and confidently speak your name, regardless of the response that we may get, regardless of how we, are, um, we, we may lose things in this life, or so it seems. 
because we forsake all things and everything is a loss compared to the great worth of knowing you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to close out with a song today, but um, I, I do have one, one closing thought for you guys as you go out. I was reading through uh, the book of Acts, just trying to get some context uh, for, for what was going on in, in, in Paul's world during this time. Uh, but in, in Acts chapter 17, verses 6 and 7, there's this guy, really obscure Bible character by the name of Jason. And it says uh, they, were, they were looking for Paul and Timothy because Paul and Timothy had been going around uh, sharing the gospel. And it says, And when they could not find them, talking about Paul and Timothy, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities. Yeah, you know, before, Jason was probably just, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, probably a good guy, you know, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, Paul and Timothy come and share the gospel with him, and his life was changed. And then all of a sudden, he gets wrapped up in the middle of this big struggle uh, that's so much bigger than him. And, and the people are dragging him out of his house. Uh, and, and it says, They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, saying, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So maybe, maybe today you're like, you're like Jason. Maybe you were just kind of minding your own. And then someone came and shared the gospel with you at some point in some time in your story. And all of a sudden, you're getting dragged out before uh, the authorities, and they're saying, you know, you know what, what is going on here? May you be faithful as you go out this week to say, I have another king, and his name is Jesus. To um, the, the forces of darkness that are around you, to um, the, the people who are begging you to compromise. Not that we have to be militant in our approach, but we have to be faithful and obedient. And, and, and the word there uh, for, for boldness that we talked about in verse 14, I think externally is expressed as boldness, but internally is obedience. So may we be obedient and faithful messengers of Christ as we go out this week.